Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Drs. Craig and Medine Keener join the podcast today. Medine holds a PhD from University of Paris 7 and is Community Formation and Pastoral Care Coordinator at Asbury Seminary. Craig is the FM and Ada Thompson Professor of Biblical Studies also at the seminary. He has authored more than 30 books, several of which have won awards and altogether have sold more than 1 million copies. One of their books, Craig and Medine co-authored Impossible Love, the true story of an African Civil War, miracles and hope against all odds. The book talks about how Medine lived as a refugee in the Congo for 18 months while Craig waited, not knowing if she was dead or alive. In today's conversation, they share about her war experience, romance, and how God provided healing and wholeness. Let's listen. Craig, Medine, it is such a delight to have you on the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast today. I know you, but I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about what you do at the seminary. So we can start with, with whichever one you want. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> so I am Medine Kinner, and I work in the uh, Office of Community Formation. I'm married to Craig Kinner. And what else? I have two children, uh, one daughter-in-law and one granddaughter. Wow, (laughs) wow. I'm I'm Craig. I'm married to Medine, who works in community formation. (laughs) And I have two children, (laughs) one daughter-in-law and one granddaughter. But uh, also I write write books, Mm -hmm. and uh, I teach in the School of Biblical Interpretation. Okay. Okay, well, we're glad to have you both here. Thank Thank you both so much. So I was reading your book, Impossible Love, and that's what I wanted to talk about with you today. I want to hear you tell your story. Your book is beautiful. Um, It's beautiful in hindsight as we were talking (laughs) about it before before we started recording um, because there were a lot of hard things that led to this season that you're in Mm -hmm. now. Um, So... How did you how did you both meet? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. Yes. <laughs> so if I remember well, <clears throat> I went to uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. One evening, there was a young man who was speaking, and I got into the room. Actually, I talked with you before I got into the room, mm. right? Um, I didn't, did I know you were the speaker? Did you tell me you were the speaker? It wasn't exactly a speaker. It was like a, a Bible study. Each, yeah. each of us in the, it was the, the graduate university fellowship at Duke University. Yeah. Each of us was taking turns um, leading yeah. on, on the subject we were interested in. And of and course, my subject is Bible, which could be all sorts of things. <laughs> so I wanted to pick a topic that would be, you know, something stimulating that people wouldn't have talked about that much before, so that's what I was doing. But but Medine, when I found out she was from Congo, I said, oh, I know somebody who, who uh, was in Congo, but it was the wrong Congo. But it was the, <laughs> it was the best shot I had of trying to get a conversation started. So uh-huh. I said, have you heard of Jacques Verneau? And it happened that Jacques Verneau, when he was in my Congo, 
was my father's friend. No way. He was a missionary and he actually laid hand upon my dad and prayed for him to receive the gift of healing. And my dad had the gift of healing. And both of them were named Jacques and they kept in touch. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Out of so many people in Congo and so many missionaries who passed by to have the same person. Yeah. That's interesting. So what happened? You tried to strike up this conversation. How did that how did that go for you? She looked only mildly interested. <laughs> you know. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was kind of sensitive, you know, and so and then and then during the Bible study, she 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 challenged me. She was disagreeing with me. Everybody else seemed interested. I didn't think Medine was interested. <laughs> so what topic were you speaking about? Oh, you really want to know? <laughs> um, I was talking about speaking in tongues. Okay. Because it was, you know, I figured that would be interesting. And mm-hmm. and because uh, I, w- I, was, um, I was Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm actually ordained in a different denomination. But that's, that's uh, I was in... Pentecostal church at the time, and and I that was a gift I really enjoyed because like two days after my conversion from atheism, you know I'd never I'd never heard of speaking in tongues or anything like that, but it just happened to me, and so you know later of course I, I knew it was in the Bible, mm-hmm. and so we talked about uh, that, and and Medine came from a different background in terms of speaking in tongues, but. Mm-hmm. I did not argue with you, actually. I just said that not everyone spoke in tongues. Because in my own family, well, three of my siblings, actually, they speak in tongues. (laughs) But but people had tried to pressure her to speak in tongues. And so, so, I mean, I thought I was offering, you know, some some insight. And she she thought I was giving pressure, I Uh think. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you guys, you were over at Duke University for a year. Yeah, I was there as an exchange student. Okay. And then you returned to Paris? I went back to France, yes, and to finish with my um, PhD. I was doing a PhD there on African American history. Okay. Mm -hmm. So did you all date during that time? Like what, the year that you were there? We didn't date. No. (laughs) <laughs> we were we were we were friends. We we were. I, I I don't I don't think we ever met alone. We were always with other. No, friends. we were always with other friends. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, we were invited to some of the same things like food or mm-hmm. uh, church. But yeah, no, we didn't officially date. No, mm-hmm. we didn't even. I mean, we didn't even talk about. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I, you. I don't like you. No, I call I called her on the phone once. You know, hoping maybe to see if there was anything there, and she said, uh, "Oh, have to go, brother. I got to finish my my uh, studies." Uh-huh. So I she figured, had okay, a priority. I figured, I figured, okay, there's no, that's not going anywhere. So I just, you know, and eventually I decided, okay, no, I, I'm not going to date anyway. I'm just going to wait for God to show me my future wife. I'll have mm-hmm. friends, mm-hmm. but you know, and one of those friendships may develop. The Lord may lead, but I want to, I want to hear from Him before my feelings get involved anyway. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How would you know when you heard from God? Well, that was a that was an issue. I was thinking, <laughs> you know, if I get a vision, uh-huh. uh, and then she gets a vision at the same time, <clears throat> I figured that would be, that would work. That would be very clear, right? <clears throat> Which isn't what happened. But, but, <laughs> yeah, but I was like, my, my, I just wanted to be absolutely sure. I, I you know, had a, broken relationship that really 
was painful, and I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to wait on God and not. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So after returning to France, you all kept in touch. We kept in touch through letters. Yeah. Yes, and... through letters. Oh. I wrote a lot of letters mm-hmm. to a lot of people. But yes, Craig and I, we kept in touch a lot. We talked about so many things, just life in general, asking mm-hmm. one another, asking for prayers and, yeah, sharing our hearts a little bit. Maybe it was a distance dating or something like that. Getting to know one another. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a lot of people. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and so did I. <laughs> but... Um, and, and she asked me for help on her dissertation, too. She, she said, ah, I didn't get all the information, because it was an African-American history. So okay. she needed some data. She was back in France, and so she, uh, and so it wasn't day. dating, it was data. It was data. <laughs> it was good, though. It was good. Yeah. So after, after you graduated, you returned to the Congo. Yeah. And then tell me your story from there, and then we'll get, Craig, what you were doing at the same time as well. Well, after I graduated, actually, there was war going on in the Congo. Okay, and while you were in school. While I was you know, finishing up in France. Uh-huh. And Craig, uh, um, I think you, you asked me if I would come and teach at, uh, what was it? Yeah, I, I, was gonna, I figured <clears throat> I could find you a position yeah. in the U.S. But I didn't want to come. Okay. Because I, especially, I mean, like being close to Craig, even though Craig didn't know my feelings for for him, I I was like that would be hard if I come to uh, the U.S. and then I'm teaching there and Craig will get married or oh, he's already married who knows mm-hmm. and uh, so I just said no um, so I went back Congo has been in war and there was a kind of lull that's when I went back I went back in a country that was experiencing civil unrest okay and uh, I mean when I when I got there you could see evidences of war broken walls and mm-hmm. you know houses destroyed but also uh just a mistrust uh anger um bitterness and the fact that uh, i remember when i got to to congo i contacted someone who was he was the father of one of our friends mm-hmm. in france but during the civil war that happened his part of the country was at war with my part of the country. A lot of people was killed, were killed mm-hmm. and so on. And so when he came to see me, he was coming almost into enemy territory. Wow. He was afraid. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was new. To see the fear, to see people looking at him like saying, what is he doing here and so on, that was really new. So I was learning about the things that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Your, your brother nearly got killed, M.A.? Yeah, but that was, I was not in Congo yet. Right. I mean, I was still a student that, during the first week. Okay, yeah. okay. So that's the kind of the environment I found myself in. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But why, why did you go back? I went back, I guess I wanted to be with my family. Of course. When I heard about the war in Congo, I almost developed a stomach ulcer because Mm -hmm. my parents didn't have a phone. I didn't know if they were doing okay, what was Mm -hmm. happening, were they alive? And the fear and the anxiety of waiting until someone who has a phone will contact me and say, hey, 
I saw Papa Jacques and, oh, they're doing okay. Oh, they're hiding here. That was too much for me to take. Mm -hmm. And I was like, staying in France, I told the Lord, I would like to stay in France or go to the U.S., but over to wherever you want to send me. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to stay as somebody who will go underground and dishonor the Lord. I wanted to be somewhere where I will be there officially. Mm -hmm. So my prayer was, okay, Lord, if you want me to come back or to do something, you know, in mm -hmm. the West, then you will make the way. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> to tie it after war when I'm, I'm jumping, you know, like if you, when I was, um, I was looking for a job, I was abandoned. I had my child in my back and I was walking and I saw someone, a friend. Okay. He was a pastor in a church and he said, look at you. I don't know why you came back. You disobeyed the Lord and left friends instead of staying there. And now you are here. You've been abandoned, went through war. This is God's punishment on you. And when he was done talking to me, I just burst out crying. Yes. And I cried as I was walking home. I was crying. I said, Lord, come on here. Something, something is not right. Mm -hmm. I came home because I didn't want to dishonor you. I don't think this is your punishment. But uh, my brother, Emmanuel, when he heard that, he was so upset. He said, don't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about. But it just shows the, the kind of struggle. Sometimes you, you do the right thing between your heart and the Lord. But it doesn't mean that what's going to come will be completely just roses and so on. Oh. Difficult things might come. Right. God still has us in his hands. Right. I, that's a very good word because I think a lot of times we think we're taught, maybe not even intentionally, that, oh, you follow the Lord. Yeah. Your life will not have any hardship, any yeah. difficulty. Yeah. And if you get a bad diagnosis or a war breaks out in your country or yeah. something, then you must have done something wrong. And, and that's not always the case. That's not always the case. Okay. So. Yeah, just like the Lord showed Joseph that his brothers would bow down to him in, in Genesis 37. And from then on, everything was smooth. So <laughs> everything <laughs> was great for him. I do often wonder at his um, intelligence level at sharing that vision with his brothers. I'm like, things might have gone a little better had you kept it to yourself well, for a he, little bit. He was 17 and they were already picking on him. Like, yeah. I think we need to give him a break. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were back in Congo mm -hmm. then. Dr. Keener, what was happening for you during that time? I had been through a lot of my struggles already. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my Actually, the wilder part of my life was all before this, because okay. I was converted from atheism off the street. So I started sharing Christ with people on the street, and a lot of people came to faith in Christ, and some people beat me up or threatened to kill me. So <laughs> I read that in your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but also, I started learning to hear the Lord's voice in, in prayer, and also... Um, you know, just immersing myself in Scripture, because I had to catch up with little kids in Sunday school. You know, <laughs> if you read 40 chapters of the Bible a day, you can get through the Bible once a month or through the New Testament every week. So, you know, I was trying to catch up with the kids. <laughs> and 
But as I was doing that, I began to realize, wow, I need more more background, more of mm-hmm. you know what was going on back then. And some of the stuff I'd already studied because I'd really been into Greek and Roman historiography and so on before my conversion. But when I started that, uh, and then you know, by the time I finished my doctorate, I was like, okay, I need to... Um, there's no reason for somebody else to have to spend 10 years getting all this background. Why don't I, you know, if nobody else has written this book by the time I finish my doctorate, why don't I write a, a background commentary that will just put this at people's fingertips? Because all I wanted to do was go out and preach, mm-hmm, <laughs> like like I felt God called me to. But this was a way of making it available to a lot of other people so they could go out and preach or whatever. And so, um, you know, assuming that they're reading the Bible a lot like I was, um, and at that time, there weren't any other background commentaries. So I proposed that to InterVarsity. Well, the Lord had provided for me year after year. I mean, the day before I was going to call Duke and tell him I couldn't come because I just had a dollar, the Lord provided for me to go. Like you literally just had one dollar. Well, technically, that was like a week before. Okay. <laughs> I was down to a dollar. But anyway, but, but the Lord the Lord provided mm-hmm. for me the day, you know, the day before I was going to call him and tell him I couldn't come. And so he'd provided each year, but I didn't have a teaching position when I finished. And I couldn't understand, you know, what's, <laughs> Lord, what's going on? And there was one day, it was a, a Sunday. I just had been praying for months for a teaching position. I'd been looking diligently. And that night I just figured out how much money I was going to need to live on so that I and my research files wouldn't be out in the street. <laughs> because back then you couldn't fit all your research in a flash drive, you know. It was right, you know, <laughs> big, right. big files. And so, and then I was just like, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the next day, University Press called me back and offered me an advance on the background commentary that was to the dollar what I decided the night before I needed to live on that year. <laughs> and so somebody had prophesied to me, you know, that I, I had been through some really hard things uh, that aren't ne- necessary to the story. I mean, they, they would take a long detour, but where it looked like my ministry w- was completely over uh-huh. and I was just completely shattered and felt, you know, I mean, God was still there, but I just felt so broken. And somebody had prophesied to me, okay, well, now God is going to begin to exalt you. And um, the background commentary was part of that. The next year I had a teaching position and and uh, and things were really you know, beginning to flow in terms of God's calling in my life. And, you know, a few years before, I felt like nobody's ever going to listen to me. <laughs> and and now, you know, I think already there were like 100,000 copies of my books in print. And But I'm corresponding with my dean, and she's going through these, these hard things, and my heart is just going out to her. But before we jump to her story, Dr. Keener, um, you mentioned, like, you had a broken relationship. You had your own healing to yeah. do. Can you talk a little bit about the role that the African-American church played yeah. in your healing? Yeah, if we go back there, I may as well tell the, the whole story. <laughs> I, I got married to a college classmate from Bible college, and we were together about three and a half years when um, one place we, we both were feeling like I was going to go uh, do my Ph.D. turned me down. And she said, I think I'm... I'm thinking of backsliding. I'm thinking of turning my back on God. That just blew my mind. Yeah. But once she deliberately set her mind to do that, she and her best friend's husband, who had had affairs before, started an affair. And within 
a few months, she she moved out, and he he left his wife and children, and they moved mm. in together. She filed for divorce. He divorced his wife. She filed for divorce. I fought the divorce for a couple of years, hoping mm-hmm. she'd come back. Mm-hmm. And so I was totally broken. Um, <clears throat> I just, you know, I'd been praying like two hours a day before it happened. But after, after it happened, all I could do was just utter the name of Jesus. I just needed to be around people to feel the strength of their presence because my own heart was just a void. Mm. Yeah. And so when I got to Durham, North Carolina, where I was starting my PhD, it was actually, I moved into an African-American neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, there, there wasn't a law against it, but um, some, of the, some of the people in the neighborhood wondered if I was a drug dealer. What's this white guy doing? Okay, <laughs> yeah. And so, but there was an African-American family who kind of took me in and took me to church with them. And I found that the black church had a resilience. It, they, they knew how to deal with pain mm. in a way that my white evangelical church tradition didn't know. I mean, it had all sorts of gifts that, that could be great mm. gifts for that part of the black church, but the black church really knew how to deal with mm-hmm. with pain. They mm-hmm. had a few centuries of experience with that. Yes. And they helped nurse me back to wholeness. That was a major turning point in my life because I felt like, uh, from then on, I felt like I really owed my life to the black church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To help you on your own healing journey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Medine, you're you're still in the Congo. Mm -hmm. What was it like when you knew that war was coming and then later broke out? It was very emotional because, Mm. actually, when I went back to Congo... I couldn't have Craig. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't dating. So. <laughs> I couldn't have Craig. I couldn't tell Craig how I really felt. So, Was there a reason you couldn't tell him how you felt? Well, like- at that time, you know, traditional African women, really, you don't talk about matters of heart. It's supposed to come from the young man and so on. And also, I tried. I did tell Craig how I felt when I was in France, but he felt like, in Craig's typical, you know, this is Craig, like, do you do, he, he was wanting to know if I was involved in ministry. Okay. Uh, and that's understandable because, yes. because of what he went through. Mm-hmm. And so for me, ministry was like being a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist. I said, no, I'm not a minister. I'm not involved in ministry at all. So you say, I th- maybe we should just be friends so we were friends and uh, when I got to Congo I asked him to pray for me I was so tired people thought I was cursed because you know 20 25 she's not married something is wrong with you and in my family actually no one was married and even some of our friends were saying what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> Mind you, somebody came to marry me a long time ago when I was a student at the university in Congo, in Brazzaville. I was an undergrad. Okay? So this is just, just, just oh, a caveat. Yes, this yes is please. <laughs> <laughs> the traditional way uh, someone came in, saw my parents, and it was like, actually, it was so funny because one afternoon, I saw a bunch of people coming into our house and... There was a young man with them, 
And there was an aunt, and she's like, okay, this is somebody who wants to marry Medina. I'm like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to school. No one came to me and asked me, but I couldn't talk. So I had to wait the way it's done. They talked to my parents and so on. My father said, I'm going to ask Medina what she thinks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he came to me and said, oh, that's good. Medina. Somebody who comes and brings in TVs and all the material things is not really somebody who is serving the Lord. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> anyway, so I told him no, and it didn't happen. But then after that, I was not married. I, I went, I had a PhD, came back. And so finally, when somebody came, wanted to marry me, I said, yes. Okay. I asked her to pray for me. But it turned out that the person was already married. Traditionally, okay. he had children. And he didn't know any I didn't of this. Know. Okay. And uh, a lot of things happened. Anyway, there was a young woman who would witness all the things that he said and how he would drink. And then after he was done drinking, he would use chewing gum to kind of, uh, no, he would chew garlic to remove away the smell oh. of wine and then chewing gum so that he said, this is Medin's money I'm using, and if you okay. say anything, my nephew or you know my cousin is not yes. going to marry. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I got married to this person, and a few months in the marriage, I was pregnant, I was abused, and the person is like, oh, you, you don't know what pain is. You will know that I've hurt you when you find yourself in the hospital with a leg missing. I mean, so oh when war came, mm -hmm. I know war was horrible, uh -huh. but in a sense, it opened my eyes and I was like, what am I doing here? Because uh -huh. we all ran. I went to my, my parents' small town. Uh -huh. I gave birth there. Uh, life was very, very difficult uh -huh. for us. But the family, our family was really tight-knit. Uh -huh. And because of Jesus, we all helped my father helped, my brother helped, everybody took, one of, uh, took care of everybody else. And then war came there again. So my whole family, we found ourselves running. And I had um, a toddler who would not be kept quiet, quiet by whatever. Right. right. And who would talk. And when, thank God that he was happy, when the shooting will come, instead of being, shh, he would go like, yeah. <laughs> and people are like, quiet him. Do you want us to be to die? What's wrong with you? Anyway, so it started a journey um, mm -hmm. about 18 months running for our lives from one village to another, some of the villages in the forest. We experience a lot of everything that people experience. I mean, we saw people die, uh -huh. we, we were hungry, we uh -huh. were thirsty, we got sick. We had questions, right? like, why are we in this mess when we didn't do anything? Why do good people hurt for things that they didn't do? And so it was really a very difficult time of testing. Mm -hmm. But in the midst of that, too, we saw the Lord just come, sometimes Miraculous healing. I got so sick with malaria that I didn't know. I mean, I was just in a delirious state. I was not doing well. And somebody came when I started to get better. Somebody came and said, oh, Papa Jacques, that's my dad. Mm -hmm. 
I saw your daughter in a dream. Your daughter, Medin, she was sick. My father's like, how do you know? He's like, yeah, I had a dream. Somebody said, pray for Medin. How is she doing? We've been praying for her. And so, and sometimes we will just walk in the forest. We're running for our lives and we are so hungry. There is nothing. And suddenly you feel like a breeze and some fruits. We're like, oh, we didn't even know there was a fruit tree here, like falling for us to eat. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so in hindsight, you're telling me this story and we're smiling, we're rejoicing yeah. in how God is providing. Yeah. But it was still very hard. Yeah. More than hard. I don't even have a word right now to describe. Can you describe for those of us for me, for those of us listening who have probably never experienced anything like this, what it was like. It took me years to tell the story and laugh. When I used to tell the story, I will cry. Mm, yeah. Because I guess the pain was so, so much there, still mm-hmm. there. Um, so I guess the telling of the story was healing. Mm-hmm. How, how to start? I mean, the fact that we didn't have, there is, you don't have a room or a bedroom or a house or just a kitchen to cook. And so everything was improvised or you had to depend on people to help you. We came in villages where people didn't even care. They said, we don't want you here. We don't want you to touch anything and so on. And then we came in villages where people would say, oh, come on, let's take you to our garden and let's help you. Hunger was a constant companion. It was very hard because I had a toddler. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard when, you know, David was sick with malaria and there was no medication. Mm. Uh, it was very hard. One day, he was so sick that he started convulsing. And I didn't realize because I was right. doing things and he was a very uh, active and talkative child and he would talk and he was calling my name and saying things. And I just turned him out of me. I you know, went into my zone where I was wondering what's gonna happen and so on, just thinking. And then when I came back to reality, his voice was so raspy. He was convulsing, so he was losing the movement. I just grabbed him. I went to see my brother, Emmanuel. I was like, Emmanuel, what do we do? What do we do? He said, okay, first of all, we're going to pray. So he went and took our only medicine was palm oil mm-hmm. that we prayed over. And that was the medicine, trusting the Lord to do something. So he took it. And my father was sitting there. He said, why are you taking the oil? We used to call it God's oil. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Who's sick? What's going on? Because when somebody will touch that oil, we know something is going on. Right. And Emmanuel was like, no, everything is fine. My dad had had a stroke, so he didn't want him to worry and fret. Okay. And so he tried to massage David. And then I put David on my back and he said, okay, where do we go? If we go to the only hospital, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. the first thing they ask you is money. We didn't have anything, not even a cent. Mm -hmm. And so he said, let's go and see my friend. Maybe my friend, he had a friend who went to a medical school and opened a small, he called it clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started to run. 
Uh I didn't know how to pray. I just called Jesus. I was just calling. And the night before, something, a few days, I don't know, somebody's child had died of malaria. Uh And I was like, Jesus, please, please. So I was just, I was just crying Jesus' name. And Emmanuel was just calling my son. He said, David, he said, if he goes to sleep, it's not good. Uh We have to make him talk. And so he was making him talk. David, and that child never stopped responding. (laughs) Praise (laughs) God. And so as we were running and crying and praying and talking, we got to the place and the young man looked at us and said, you guys are really lucky. No one has come this morning. I was getting ready to go home. And you're also lucky because there is only one injection left for malaria. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And he did. He gave David the injection. When I heard him cry, oh, God, I was so grateful. Yeah. I was so grateful. So we got sick. Uh, so many people died of sickness. Mm-hmm. So many people died of not being taken care of. One was um, Buna was a young woman who came. She was pregnant. And she went to the same hospital. They gave, everybody was trying to collect some money so we can, we can help her. They admitted her. She had a very difficult birthing, gave birth to twins. And the first baby died. Mm. And that was hard. And then we were going to the hospital. Everyone just crying out to God. Buna's belly started to swell. And a few hours after that, she died. That was, that was, I've never felt so helpless. Mm-hmm. And to see that girl die and her children die when she could have been saved. Mm-hmm. Um, or just hearing the cries of a young woman who was being gang raped by soldiers and feeling helpless, not knowing not being able to help because they're standing there with guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was hard. Yeah. It was very hard. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing even this many years removed, it's yeah. still not an easy story to tell. It is not tell. an easy story to tell. Yeah. Thank you. I noticed in each of your your stories, you came to a point where all you could say was, you could only call on the name of Jesus. Yeah. So I have a question for each of you. What did you What did you learn about God during that time? Because they were different experiences, but you both got to the same place. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because I've been an atheist before, I really tried to have faith, you know. But when I was shattered and I couldn't work up any faith, I'd always wondered what would happen then. But when I couldn't work up any faith in the midst of the darkness, God was still there. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I felt, in a way, I felt abandoned. I felt, but I had no doubt that God was there. Mm -hmm. And he sustained me when I didn't have any strength. To sustain myself. And 
I know at one point, the guy who had run off with my wife, you know, he had been my friend. I, when I was a pastor, he almost became the assistant pastor. You know, we'd gone to the same Bible Bible college, mm-hmm. and he abandoned his wife and kids. One of, one of those kids recently died. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. You know, when after he left his wife and kids, this, this daughter asked me, she was really young, she said, are you going to be our daddy now? Because she thought, you know, you trade. (laughs) And we explained, no, it doesn't work like that. But she recently died of drug uh, results of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. drugs and alcohol. And uh, it's just so sad what it does to people. But anyway, so, you know, I had been been numb for a couple months Mm -hmm. and just able to say the name of Jesus but, you know, the Bible says to pray for those who persecute you. I was praying for him, all right. I was praying that God would kill him. <laughs> and, and then the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I'm like, wait a minute, God, that's not fair. Because right. in, the, in the denomination that I was in at that point, if, if your marriage broke up, it didn't matter who was at fault, didn't matter what the circumstances were, you were, you were done. Like with everything. Everything. Your ministry was over. Oh. And so the only two things that had mattered to me that I'd really prayed hard about more than anything else was, was having a family and having the ministry that God called me mm-hmm. to. And I was like, God, that's not fair. I mean, this man has taken from me everything that really matters to me. And you're telling me I can't even hate him. I have mm-hmm. to love my enemies? What? <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'd been so numb, it had been hard to hear God's voice for some time, but at that point I felt like God spoke again, and he said, my child, Elijah was a man of like passions as you. When he knelt down under the juniper tree and said, God, just let me die, I'm not better than my ancestors. David was, was just like you, when he was ready to go in and kill Nabal and every male in his, his family, you know, when, when Saul was persecuting him. Jeremiah was 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 just like you when he said, Cursed be the day that I was born. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, saying a child is born. My child, you're a man of God not because of what you're made out of. You're a man of God because I called you, and my grace is sufficient for you. Mm. You know, and I'd, I'd already seen in the Bible that everybody that God called went through some sort of testing, you know, if the Bible gives us enough detail about them. Mm-hmm. And I'd always wondered what my test would be. You know, Abraham and Sarah having to wait so many years for a kid, or or uh, David being chased around by Saul, or Joseph, you know, in, mm-hmm. uh, as a slave and then in prison. Well, I found out what my t- trial would be, and, and I was like, God, if this is my test, I can't, I can't do this. I can just tell you right now, I'm not going to pass it. So if this is my test, please send my wife back tomorrow and mm-hmm. give my calling to somebody else. But, I mean, it doesn't work like that. But <laughs> Right, but uh, that's how you felt. That's how I felt, and and that's when God spoke that to me. And so, I mean, it looked, everything looked hopeless, but I just kept serving the Lord with what I had. It was like, well, if all I can do is just, you know, disciple people one-on-one and and share Christ with people one-on-one. That's what I'm going to do. All I can do anyway is make a dent in this world for Jesus, and I want to make the biggest dent that I can make and humble myself 
beneath his hand. I felt like it was a twig in his hand being being bent and ready to snap. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know God didn't, you know, tell her to leave me or something, but but I also believe that he knew he knew all this from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and and he he would work it for good to those who love him. The only question was, yeah, Lord, I need to keep loving you. <laughs> but I I felt uh, I'll just humble myself beneath your mighty hand, and if you will, you will exalt me. And then the time came that he did. But even after that, you know, the Bible doesn't just say, don't sleep with anybody you're not married to. It also says, don't lust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so eventually I was like spending a day every week fasting um, just to keep my heart pure before the Lord and Toward the end of the week, it was like, oh, maybe I need to fast more than one day a week, but that's about <laughs> all I can handle. So, and but by the way, when Medine said uh, about the, the thing about ministry, uh, it, part of it was a question of definition, too. I mean, we... we right. Yeah, she, I was going to come back to that, so... <laughs> okay. She was, she was doing... Uh, I mean, she was doing open-air evangelism. She was, do- she was doing door-to-door evangelism in Muslim neighborhoods. She was counseling drug addicts to get off drugs. I mean, she was doing all sorts of ministry, mm-hmm. stuff that I definitely considered ministry, but we had different definitions. Right. And so that, that mis... Uh, there, there was miscommunication, misunderstanding that... Uh, that lasted about seven years? Is that, am I right on my number? <laughs> uh, something. Something like that? <clears throat> yeah, it was like 93 when, when the question came up, 93 or 94, yeah. and then it was 2002 when we got married, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to come back, Medine, um, to what you learned when all you could say was the name of Jesus, because in your, in your book, Impossible Love, you had written in your, you said you wrote in your journal, that life is hard, but Jesus is everything to me. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I realized that God's real. Um, he's not some mythical person up there. Um, and that when we call on his name, he hears us. Um, so I know that in the midst of just calling on the name of Jesus and not being able to pray, um, I was actually praying mm. because I was saying everything. There, there were there were no words that I can say that he didn't know. Mm-hmm. So when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes what in what's in our heart and brings it to the Lord, I guess that's what the Lord mm. was doing for me. Mm-hmm. To put two stories together, mm-hmm. uh, I think a couple of weeks ago or so, I was just walking in Centennial Park and in the morning. Sometimes I walk there and I'll pray. And because there are not a lot of people, it's easy to pray out loud. And I was just praying, talking. I said, Lord, you know me. And the Lord said, oh, yeah, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I first start laughing. Said, oh, yeah, that's true. Wait, you know me. <laughs> but uh, I guess calling on the name of Jesus... Uh, during that time, during war, was for me not only prayer, but I don't know how to explain this, but it was like I knew God knew. Mm -hmm. He knew not only me, he knew the times I was experiencing, he knew what was going on in my 
heart. He knew the panic and anxiety and so on. And I just, I had to, I, I had to hold on. Mm-hmm. Even if I didn't feel anything going on right, you know, when I was, but I had to hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for I, sure. I feel like, well, I felt like God said that even here in the U.S. and yeah, everywhere, but he, here included, the time will come when God will strip us of the things we value so we can learn to value what really matters. Mm. And it's when you're stripped of those other things that you realize what really matters in life is the one thing they can't take away from you. Mm-hmm. Even if they take your life, they can't take Jesus. Right, right. It's different hearing both of you say that, yeah. having been through the, the things that you've been through. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. How did you know when when it was okay for you two to be together because you kept communicating we're jumping ahead of your story yeah, no, no, no. But, but, okay. but, um, um, I'll let's correct up okay but how did you know because you kept communicating while you were in the Congo as well as you could and trying to keep in touch and mm-hmm. ask for prayer mm-hmm. let him know what was going on how did how did you go from letter writing to to being married. Email writing. Email writing. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Back, w- back when all this started, you know, this was in the days before email, yeah. before cell phones. I remember days before email. Wow. Cell phones, yeah. You're an old person, too. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Sorry. No, it's fine. You were, you were probably... You don't say that to a young Sorry, man. sorry, sorry. <laughs> you're, you're probably very young. But anyway, we... Yeah, it's like we joke about... It. Interracial marriage wasn't... Uh, legal in all of the U.S. until 1967, but we were too young to get married then anyway. (laughs) Um, But in when when I got a letter from Nadine saying that her her husband had left her, I you know and of course she didn't know yet about the other details that he wasn't actually it wasn't even a legal marriage because he was married to somebody else Mm -hmm. and plus. You know, he was sleeping with other women, plus uh-huh. he'd strangled her and all these other things. Well, she knew that part, but um, but I got this letter from her. I was just so brokenhearted and just praying for my sister that God would help her, because each of us had prayed that God would give the other one a good, good spouse. So I was praying for her, but then one day I got this letter, and I was so excited to get another letter from, from Medine, because I, mean, I, I was very fond of her. I liked her a lot. But, you know, I was fond of a, of a number of people. Oh, come on, people. don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just I wouldn't let my heart go towards anybody just totally, unless, you know, I was sure it was God. It, everything had to be kept in check. But I got this, this letter from her saying that um, her cousin had just been shot dead. Her brother and father had nearly been shot dead. Troops were closing in on her town with orders to kill the educated people first. And she didn't know if she was going to live or die. The letter had been taken out of the country and mailed from somewhere else. So it was getting to me like a month later. By the time her letter reached me, her town had been burned down. And I didn't know for the next 18 months if she was alive or dead. Oh. And that so be- you didn't hear from her? No, there was no way. 
Uh, and plus, well, of there, course not. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> you can just still send yeah. letters. <laughs> plus, yeah, there was no mail going, and, and plus her, her address book was in the house. It had been mm-hmm. burned, so she didn't have my address. I was just praying frantically for her. That was my biggest prayer request over those next 18 months, and, and learning to pray for some things that I hadn't really thought about praying that way for before, you know, in terms of safety for her and her her parents and child and siblings. And meanwhile, you know, they'd be, at any given time, one of them was close to death from malaria or typhoid. They would be making their way. She would be, for a lot of the time, walking, I forget, six miles a day or something through snake-infested swamps and fields of army ants, having to pick the ants off her body after she got through just to get food for the family. I mean, for the family's sake, it was good that she was mm-hmm. there, but uh, it was it was just really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, my students can testify when we would do prayer in class, I would ask prayer for my friend Medine. Uh, my church can testify. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and I, w- I was an associate mem- minister at a, a large African-American church in Philadelphia by that time. And finally, after 18 months, one day, I saw a letter in familiar handwriting in my, in my box. She, she, had, she had asked somebody to go find the Craig Keener who writes books. <laughs> now, there's, there's actually another Craig Keener, uh-huh. another Craig S. Keener, who writes books on Native American archaeology. I don't mind being confused with him. He's a good guy. He writes, writes good books. <laughs> But I hope he's not. I hope it doesn't bother him to be confused with me. But, uh, but anyway, and your Clad Medine's letter yeah, got to yeah, the yeah, right. Yeah, Craig yeah, I, I, mean, I, I still joke with her. You know, you could have married the wrong one. <laughs> but anyway, so so I, I, you know, I tore the I tore the envelope open. I was so happy. The mm-hmm. first words are, "I'm alive. I'm Medine Musunga. I'm alive." Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, Christian Frederick Smoot, who was our dean of, of student formation at uh, at that seminary at the time. Uh, can testify that she came by just as I was opening the letter and I was dancing in the hallway. <laughs> uh, Imagine that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I didn't say I didn't say it was very, you know, um, coordinated. But anyway, and so our our correspondence started started up again. Okay. And oh, my heart was was towards Medine, you know, and I didn't want her to. Get in another war and us to lose touch again, and um, and so time went on. But I ended up. Um, I, I don't like to say no to people, but I have to say no. At the mm-hmm. time, I was learning to say no. I was saying no a lot, but I guess I wasn't saying no enough. Mm-hmm. And so I had just spent like thirty hours in the previous week grading midterms and, and essay exams and. I mean, sorry, midterms and and uh, papers, plus teaching full time, plus trying to write forty hours a week, mm-hmm. trying to do all of that. Plus, I was traveling to speak certain places, and so you were had buried yourself in your work. I buried myself in my work, yeah. and sometimes I was getting three hours of sleep a night. And this was a morning class. I'm a night person, mm-hmm. so that was a, that was another reason I wasn't getting enough sleep. Thank. Thank God. Asbury is very merciful to me. No morning classes for <laughs> Afternoon me. Afternoon classes for you. Afternoon or evening, yeah. And so I ended up uh, collapsing. Oh, no. And they sent me to the hospital. I collapsed in the middle of class. 
They sent me to the hospital like against my protests, and they put me on this medicine that knocked me out. Uh-huh. And so for a, for like a month, I was flat on my back. After you found out she was alive. Oh yeah, this is this okay. is you know this is like maybe maybe almost a year after okay. finding she was alive. Okay, so you'd been so, communicating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, by letter, and then she, then it then when I was flat on my back, I got a letter from her. Now, any other time, I would have said, okay, well, Lord. You can show me, uh, but until then, I'm just going the way I'm going. I'm going to keep working, uh-huh. and unless I directly hear from you, I'm just going to keep working, uh-huh. and I'll just tell the person, well, okay, maybe the Lord will say something, but until then, let's not get our hopes up. Let's uh-huh. not get into it. So, um, <laughs> Poor Medine. <laughs> Poor Medine. Indeed. <laughs> but but you know, letter. her letter came at the right time when... I was flat on my back and couldn't do anything except pray. And there were things that I felt the Lord had spoken to me about my future life over the years. And I was able to go back through my all my correspondence with Medine. And sure enough, wow, she actually fits. <laughs> wow, I hadn't been paying attention to this. Whoa, look at this. <laughs> How did you figure out the... The mis- where the miscommunication had it, happened. It was in the very letter in which she had told me she was interested, but well, the, the next letter, she said she wasn't called to ministry. Earlier in the letter, she described the kind of ministry she was doing, mm-hmm. but... I was just saying, these are the things that I do. I don't do ministry. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, How I'm you not a pastor it. Uh-huh. or... Uh-huh. And, I, and I had been so busy with my work, I'd been so hurried, I'd missed it. Oh. Years earlier. Oh. So you missed the the middle part of the letter. Yeah. 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 Can you believe that? Sorry. <laughs> no, okay. I couldn't keep up with the correspondence then. You know I can't keep up with it now. <laughs> and now with email, oh boy. Uh, I can't. You can't keep up? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a few thousand emails behind. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you read... The middle part of that letter. <laughs> <laughs> so then, after you did, well, we, we oh. should we should back up and let her tell about her letter to me. Oh yes. Ah. Well, it was so funny because after war, I went to another town to look uh-huh. for a job, and when my brother came to visit, he brought all this letter, all the mail uh, that came bef- during and before war. Mm-hmm. And so most of the letters came from Craig Kino. <laughs> her, her house had been burned, but the post office... The post office was not burned. Okay, yeah. so they held all the mail. They were, Well, they tried to sort out whatever yes. they can get. Yes. And uh, it was so funny because um, Emmanuel was like, wow, this Craig Kino, look at all these letters. And, you know, and he's always saying, uh, I love you in Jesus or something like that. I said, Lord, I am really tired. So I decided, I said, I don't know what to do. And I went right to him. I said, wait a minute. First of all, I, I sent a letter. It didn't go well. And second, you don't do that in Congo. He's like, what do you mean? You have a PhD. You can do whatever you want. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you can write to now, him. Now at Duke, you know, I was afraid, I was kind of afraid to express interest in anybody because, you know, the idea of sexual harassment. So you express interest in somebody and they're not interested 
they may think you're hitting on them and you uh -huh. shouldn't be or whatever. So I just was kind of so I I said I thought let the let the woman go first. That was oh, me. So you're <laughs> me. Oh my goodness! So you were waiting on him. He was waiting on you. <laughs> oh, anyway, it was so weird for me uh, when I heard that. I was like, what? Um, <laughs> uh, so Emmanuel was like, no, you should do it. Another friend was like, but you should, yeah. Why don't you just write? <laughs> So I decided, I said, okay, I'm going to send the last letter. Whatever I hear, if I hear no, let's wait on the Lord, I disappear. Change my address, do not communicate, and so on. And so I wrote a letter. I didn't send an email, even though we were sending okay. email back and forth. No, and no, forth. no, we hadn't sent emails Oh, yet. we hadn't sent emails but, Well, yet. I don't think so. Because you responded I mean, to no, me. No, sorry, you sorry, no, you're email. right, you're right, yeah. So... This I is over 20 letter. years ago. <laughs> I sent a letter instead of sending it as an email. Uh -huh. um, even though I knew people would not know what I'm saying because it was in English, still, I didn't want people to read my email. Because uh, I didn't have a computer. You have right. to go to a cyber cafe and write your email there. So I sent that and I waited. I waited anxiously. Of course. Saying, okay, Lord, what's going to happen? Is this the end? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I would dream I was in America. Sometimes it's like, but finally, one day I went to check my emails. Mm -hmm. I went to the place where I usually get emails. I say, hey, do you have an email for me? They say, oh yeah, your brother from America. He sent an email. I say, sure. So I looked at the email. Craig was like, yes. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes. They were like, did you get good news from your brother in America? I said, oh, yes. I got the best news. I came out of the cyber cafe laughing, crying, just speaking out loud. People were looking at me saying, because <laughs> the thing is, in uh, Pointe Noire is the second um, biggest city in, Pointe, uh, in, in, in Congo. Mm -hmm. And when, when you've been through war, People see, I mean, I was emaciated. I was, they see uh, that uh, this person, no, she has not been living in Pointe Noir for a while. And also, uh, because we were sick and mm -hmm. we didn't have good clothes and a lot of people were mentally, you know, affected mm -hmm. and so on. So here I am walking in the street and laughing and say, oh, Lord, thank you, speaking <laughs> English. People are looking at me and saying, Look at this war refugee. <laughs> Another one who's going to put something. <laughs> anyway, it was a great day that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then in time, you were able to get in out of time. the country. Well, yeah. Dr. Um, Craig came. Yeah. To, we and met you, in Cameroon. Yeah, you yes. met in Cameroon, and yeah. then you were able to, to come to the U.S. Yeah. 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 Although there were a lot of... Oh, governments don't cooperate necessarily with romance as <laughs> quickly as one would like. There, no. there were plenty of other obstacles, but we can leave it as a cliffhanger so that nobody actually knows, do they get married? Do they survive <laughs> all the things that are coming? Anyway. Yes, and I would strongly encourage people, if they haven't, to definitely pick up a copy of your book. It was, it was an enjoyable read in hindsight to see how God had... Mm kept you both safe and brought you to at least to Cameroon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. And we, and we just and both happen is, to be working at Asbury now. Right. Yeah. And the right. book is called Impossible Love. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. <laughs> the, 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 which is a quote from her when she decided that 
Yeah. Well, it's just an impossible love. It's not going to happen. I thought yeah. it was not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't seem like it was going to happen for a long time. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, One of the things that you journaled as as we talk about the season that you're in now, and I believe the book left off about 20-ish years ago. Is that mm-hmm. is that right? Um, so you're in a new season. I understand like the season 19 years ago isn't the season today, but you journaled, Medine, that I'm learning how to live in poverty, trusting God. I hope that one day when I have enough to eat, I won't forget what I've learned. As you're both in different seasons now, what does that season look like for you as you remember yet go forward? First of all, let me say that journaling actually saved me, in a sense, during Mm -hmm. war. Mm -hmm. Because to put in writing what was going on in my life was like a prayer, Mm -hmm. was like trying to find relief. So I thank God. Wherever they are, the people who gave me, you know, like a piece of book here, a piece of paper here, and so I could write. That was great. When I look back and when I see the season today, I thank God for provision. Uh-huh. Um, I can have something to eat and so on. It always takes me back when I hear about people in war, people being kidnapped. Um, some of the first questions that come to mind is, do they have something to eat? Are they getting some, you know, mm-hmm. water to drink, good water and things like that? Um, it also taught me, I mean, I guess I've mellowed a little bit. I was mm-hmm. very, very strict in, you know, my kids, you finish your food. <laughs> there are people who don't have food to eat. Please eat your food, finish your food, take the time. So finally, I have to loosen up and then come out with the idea that, okay, everybody in my house, you have one food that, okay, absolutely, absolutely, you can't eat because I don't want you to gag or something. (laughs) (laughs) They did gag. My kids would tell you stories. But anyway, um, just appreciate God's God's goodness and not waste what he has given us. Uh Uh Now, this was in a situation much harder than mine, and Medine's was also. But uh, what, what Corey Ten Boom said that her sister Betsy shared with them what they learned at Ravensbrook was to be able to say there's no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Mm-hmm. That we can have faith in the one who is faithful, trust in the one who is trustworthy. God is faithful, and no matter what, and his calling is his promise. You know, we... we we do our best to fulfill that calling. But I'm where I am, not because I deserve to be here. I'm here because God called me and God made the way. Because there were times when, well, I wouldn't have a PhD if God hadn't acted like the day before I was going to call and say I couldn't come. You know. And, not to say everybody needs to do a PhD, but you know whatever God has called you to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't my faith that caused that to happen. There was a child in India that I was supporting before my first wife left, and she took all the money when she left, so that's why I had a dollar. <laughs> but but <clears throat> initially I'd had like uh, $10 in my wallet when she left. And so the, uh, the next week I bought groceries, and then I had a dollar left. But, I w- but then I was like, Lord, what am I going to do? Because 
I was supposed to get paid, but that was later, and and now it was time to send the money for the child in India. And back then, it was just fifteen dollars a a month, and I didn't know where I was going to get the fifteen dollars, <laughs> or buy groceries for that matter. Right, right. And that night there was a knock on the door, and somebody just felt led to give me twenty-five dollars who didn't know what it was about. Wow. And so I had I sent the fifteen dollars off for the child in India, and I had eleven dollars <laughs> for groceries, and the Lord kept providing, but it wasn't. You know, I mean, I tried to have faith, but it wasn't my faith. It was my father's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And where I am now, the books that I'm able to write, all these things, it's it's God's grace. Mm-hmm. It's not my my doing. I mean, and there are stories in the book. I mean, her sister was, as far as anybody could tell, dead for three hours mm-hmm. and was raised, no brain damage. Right. You know, there are things like that. But, I mean, the... Just God's provision, God fulfilling the things, often in, in ways that seem ordinary from the outside. But um, I've got 33 books now. I've got over a million mm-hmm. books right. in circulation. But all of that goes back to what God has done. Mm-hmm. And, and our, our ministering together, when we talk about ethnic reconciliation and stuff like that, it's because, you know, it's just what God has done in our lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's beautiful. Before we wrap up the interview, we have we have one question that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do that, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that I didn't know to ask? No, really. Ask yes. her her middle name. <laughs> I don't have a middle name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. So the one question that we ask everyone, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? I walk, mm-hmm. walking and praying in the morning. It's just something that I do, and it's a joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I just say, okay, Jesus, we need to go for a walk. Yeah. Because that's that's what it is. Yeah. When I start my day like that, it's like, Yeah. The Lord is with me. He gives me strength. Now, if there is a day where I can't walk, I will still pray. God is mm-hmm. everywhere I am. But right. I really, really enjoy those times when I can walk and pray. Early in the morning, talk out loud, and just enjoy the beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Craig, what about you? It's hard to hard to narrow down, but... We're open to more than one. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I say one. Yeah. <laughs> Not to put pressure yeah. on people, but no. if there's more than one... Now, different times in my life, there have been different things. I mean, like I said, there was a time when I was reading 40 chapters of the Bible a day. That's not what I'm doing now. Um, and there there was uh, actually for for a lot of my time here at Asbury, I would uh, read the Bible in Hebrew before bed, which was good for my Hebrew, but it also you know, made me pay attention to the text. I'd be you know, learning lessons from it, you know, besides my, my prayer time. But... Um, I guess right now, especially, the best prayer is when it's conversation, when I'm hearing from God and just conversing with Him. But I'm ADHD. My mind wanders a lot. And so when I'm not doing that, um, the ways I try to discipline, I, I do have a prayer list where I pray through certain things, but also I've been praying through the Psalms mm-hmm. and you know, just kind of using them as a, 
is a launching pad. You know, I'll go off in a different way. I'm just talking about, you know, kill my enemies. I usually, you know, adjust the wording. <laughs> yeah, you learned that <laughs> lesson. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but the best is, is conversation. Mm-hmm. Just uh, when I hear what God is saying, or, or when, I'll, when I'll ask him something, and he'll, he'll answer sometimes by, by reminding me of things in Scripture, and sometimes just by, yeah, just by speaking. And, and I think we all have that. Sometimes we underestimate that because, I mean, Paul says that God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're God's children. And he also says in, in Romans 5, 5 through 9, that God's love is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God demonstrated that love through the cross. So in other words, the Spirit comes into our hearts pointing to the cross and saying, see, that's how much I love you. So when we hear those assurances from God, that's God speaking to us. And, you know, sometimes or even often it can be more articulate, sometimes through the gift of prophecy. I mentioned I pray in tongues. Um, Sometimes I'll interpret the tongues. Um, Since tongues is praying with the Spirit, it's more the affective dimension than the cognitive dimension. Um, Even the wandering mind, you can still be praying in tongues. but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, yeah, it's just... It all comes from him, and the discipline is just trying to pay attention. I think that's a, a lifetime thing to learn yeah. to pay attention. So. <laughs> Especially if you're ADHD. But yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you both so very much for being part of the podcast today, for your authenticity and your vulnerability and sharing a story that is that is difficult and beautiful at the same time because of God. Thank you so very much. Thank you. The most, you most beautiful <laughs> part of the cover is her picture. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Craig and Medine. Just so grateful for both of them and their willingness to share a story that is filled with such hardship so that we can see how God brings beauty and wholeness even when things seem hopeless. Just so grateful for them and for their their authenticity and willingness to share what God has and is doing in their lives. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.